Top 5 at 5 with Mike Gill and Pete Thompson. Now, live from inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, it's the MGPT Top 5 at 5. All right, MGPT Top 5 at 5. It's the five best championship teams from the 90s. Any sport. A lot of uh, great champions in the 90s. I had a tough time narrowing it down to five. and In other words, uh, biased reasons. I had to keep some teams out. But I did narrow it down to five. There were some great champions. There was a lot of back-to-back champions. There was a lot of dynasties. The 90s were great for sports. Five best championship teams of the 90s. MGPT Top 5 at 5 brought to you by Matt Black Kia. They want to get you approved today. That's Matt Black Kia, Black Horse Pike, Egg Harbor Township. Well, before we get to the MGPT Top 5 at 5, Peter, it looks like the puck might be dropping sometime soon. Terribly exciting to hear that news. You know, let, let, let's get it on. Let's get it going. Let's figure it out. You know, I'm I'm okay with it. Yes, thank you. Bring on the puck. Well, 24 teams. They're going to skip over the rest of the regular season. They're going to do some sort of uh, wonky uh, round-robin play. But uh, Sam Carcini just tweeted out, the conference finals in the Stanley Cup are going to be seven games. They don't know about the first couple of rounds yet, but uh, we're going to get more information at the bottom of the hour with Kevin Durso. Today, it's the MGPT Top 5 at 5. It's the five best championship teams from the 90s. Any sport, hockey, basketball, baseball, football, best champions from the 90s. Interested to see which way you guys went on this. Peter, number five. Michael, my number five uh, starts with the pigskin, and I've got. Uh, and you talked. I heard you say back to back a minute ago, and and that weighed heavily in my uh, decision as which teams made my top five and which teams got into the honorable mention category. So back to back, my number five is the second half of back to back, the '98 Denver Broncos. They were the defending Super Bowl champs. Coming off a 12 and 4 record the previous year, they bettered that by going 14 and 2 in the regular season. In fact, if you remember that Broncos team, they won their first 13 games. People were talking like, "Uh oh, 72 Dolphins, look out!" Well, they didn't sweep at all. But 16 seasons for John Elway, he retires, winning that Super Bowl, finished the Broncos' career with unbelievable numbers: 51,000 passing yards, 300 touchdowns. Terrell Davis. Still healthy at that point. That set a team single season rushing mark. Final total 2,008 yards. He was only the fourth player to rush for over 2,000 yards in a single season. And then in the playoffs, they had a pretty easy work of it. You know, they went through the divisional round, beat the Dolphins 38 to 3, beat the Jets in the AFC Championship 23 10, and then won the Super Bowl over the Falcons. And this one's for John. Well, yeah, John Elway got to go out back-to-back, and 98 Broncos. They're number five on my list. My number five, I wanted to spark the controversy because that's what we do here when we make the list. So with that being said, my number five is the 1999-2000 Lakers. Now, does that count? We don't really know. But you had Kobe Bryant and you had Shaq do their thing. They finished 67-15 in the regular season they took down the number one seed in the east which was the indiana pacers it took them six games that was kobe and shaq in their prime very entertaining phil jackson in the mix who was the head coach of the lakers of course so 
Real quick though, Gil, what do you think? Is that uh, you know, is that allowed? No, nah, thumbs down on that one. Well, that's why I did it. I specifically wanted to find a way to piss you or PT off during yeah. this, so I had to do it. Yeah, well, see, it's different. Like well, my, one of mine is the eighty-nine ninety winner, which would be so played that, in no, 90. no, no, that's just as bad. Well, the champion wasn't played in ninety-nine; it was played in two thousand. But the season started in ninety-nine. Yeah, well, it's like uh, there was one that was under consideration, which was the eighty-nine season. 49ers. That team was like 14 and 2, one of the greatest yeah. teams of all time. They played the Super Bowl in 90, but it was really the 89 season, so I omitted them from my list. But number five for me was the 89 90 Detroit Pistons. They were the back to back of the bad boys. So you had division champion, conference champion, NBA champion, back to back years, the bad boy Pistons. They pretty much pissed off the whole NBA. You know, they wanted Bird, they wanted Magic, they wanted Jordan. And here was this bad boy Pistons team that stepped in and basically said, uh-uh. And they went 59-23. and 23. They absolutely dominated for a two-year span, and they were just different. They were the one team that we always kind of look back on as like this outlier, but they had um, just the toughness. They were, you know, Isaiah, uh, they had... Uh, you know, Rodman was on that team, Microwave, Vinnie Johnson. You had Joe Dumars, Mark Aguirre. I mean, they were some unbelievably talented teams. They never get the credit they deserve, though. But I'm giving it to them today. The Bad Boy Pistons, 89-90. They defeated the Portland Trailblazers, Isaiah Thomas, NBA Finals MVP. And it was the Pistons, number five on my list of the best champion teams from the 90s. They kicked off the 90s with a championship win. I like that poll, MG. I don't know how you got through all those teams without saying Rick Mahorn, but yeah, they're in my honorable mention. He wasn't on those teams. He he wasn't on the 90 team? Not on the 90 team. He was on the one before. I think he was on the one before, and then I think he got traded to the Sixers. Oh, well, I was okay with that. Look, he's always a bad boy to me. I still like the poll, and they're in my honorable mention, so I'm okay with the rule. And Hunter, uh, you stir it up however you want, buddy. You're just fine with me. All right, uh, let's go to a sport Hunter and I love. That's hockey in my number four spot. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, do I like this team? No, but they're god darn good. Uh, the 91-92 Pittsburgh Penguins. And again, tough to repeat as champions. The 91-92 Penguins did that. Five 30-goal scores on the roster. Mario Lemieux, Kevin Stevens, Joe Mullen, Mark Recchi, Yarmir Yager. You sit back and look through. They had six players and three off-ice staff members from that team's year-end roster, and they're in the Hockey Hall of Fame. I mean, that's just greatness permeating through the club. And not for nothing, but they had to go through extremely tough Capitals and Rangers teams to then face the Bruins in the Eastern Conference Final. They swept the Bruins, met up with the Blackhawks on a seven-game win streak, three of the Rangers series, sweep against Boston, and then they sweep Chicago. So, Gil, that's 11 games in a row that they win in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Unheard of. Mario Lemieux comes my trophy, and it was the first time since Edmonton the team won back-to-back cups. 91-92 Penguins. People forget. Oh, people forget. They're my number four. They're dominant. That's a great pool. My number four is also the bad boy Pistons and that 90s. I love that style of, of basketball. I feel like I play that way at LA Fitness, so I watch it and I'm like, yeah, let's go, baby. Does LA let's Fitness have a court? 
Oh, you're damn right they do. Are you kidding me? I rock the sweatbands, the headbands, the arm sleeves. I got it all, baby. And I go in there and I start that. And I just love that grit, that intensity, that fire. And I'm not going to lie. I was probably a little bit skewed from this MJ documentary, which when I'm sitting here thinking of the 90s, I'm like, damn, that bad boy Pistons. You know, it definitely came up because of that documentary that just came out. But I really did appreciate it. And those bad boy Pistons squads. And then we kind of talked about it a little bit earlier that MJ did get caught talking about Isaiah a little bit when it came to that USA team, which is very interesting to think about. But all around that squad, the way that they played it, they they changed that style of basketball. I mean, people were afraid to play them, and they did not want to go anywhere near those guys because they knew that it would be super intense and physical. So it has to be that 90s uh, bad boy piston squad. All right, a lot of people uh, aren't going to like my pull here, but they have to be on the list, and that is the back-to-back World Series champions from the Toronto Blue Jays, one of them beating the 93 Phillies. But they won it again the year before that, people forget, in 92 under manager Cito Gaston. Uh, 96 and 66 they were in 1992. They came back in 1993 and won again, 95 and 67. I know they beat the Phillies, but they had so many players on that team that you're just like, you know, Roberto Alomar, uh, Ricky Henderson, Devon White, Joe Carter, Paul Molitor. I mean, the names were just (laughs) endless of guys on those teams. Pat Henkin, Dave Stewart, Juan Guzman, Jack Morris. I mean, Al Leiter was in the bullpen for that team. Those, I can't be biased against that team, even though they beat the 93 Phillies. So I'm going the back-to-back Blue Jays 92-93 as, by the way, those teams, the 92, um, remember they made the trade for Ricky Henderson in 93, but the 92 team, um, you know, you had Olerud, Alomar, uh, Candy Maldonado, Devon White, Joe Carter, Dave Winfield was on the team that year. They had guys on the bench. Uh, Jeff Kent was a bench player for them. Uh, People think he should be in the Hall of Fame. I mean, that's how good that uh, Jimmy Key was on that team, Jack Morris, Guzman, yeah. Dave Steve, Dave Cohn in 92. Those those Blue Jays teams, uh, I, nobody gives the Canadians enough credit. Those Blue Jays were tremendous. That SportsCenter clip where the kid used to go, Jimmy Key. Who's Jimmy Key? Remember that? No. <laughs> oh, God, this is SportsCenter. All right, you're talking 93, MG. That leads into my number three, the 93 Cowboys. God, it's tough for an Eagles fan to praise a Cowboys Yeah, I couldn't do it, Peter. I couldn't do it. They made my honorable mention. I I had to do it. It's difficult to win. It's more difficult to repeat. You forget this team started without Emmett Smith. He held out for two games. Of course, that was two losses. They lost to Washington. They lost to Buffalo. They still went 12-4, and still took first place to the NFC East, beat the Packers by 10 in the divisional round, beat the Niners by 17, blew out Buffalo 30-13 to in the Super Bowl, and Smith did everything he was holding out for. He was the NFL MVP. He had the NFL rushing title. He was the Super Bowl MVP. That's the only player to win all three awards like that in the same season. I mean, there was a 237-yard career-high performance by Emmett Smith against the Philadelphia Eagles. And all the people that you remember are those Cowboys teams in the 90s. Troy Aikman, Michael Irvin, Alvin Harper, Jay Novacek, right? Uh, full offensive line, Stepnowski, Eric Williams, Dave Newton, D. 
defense. Russell Maryland, Ken Norton Jr. It just goes on and on. You have to put the Dallas Cowboys in your top five. Can't do it. The 93 Cowboys, they're in there. They're my number three. Can't do it. Won't do it. Yeah, I I can't do that either. I I thought about them. We obviously all thought about them, but I would not put them on my list. But I did put the Detroit Red Wings on my list. 97-98, this is when they went back-to-back. And listen, they went on an iconic, historic run just making the playoffs. I mean, they would consistently make the playoffs 20-plus years. I mean, it was insane. But back then with Fedorov and Lidstrom and... Iserman, I mean, they went on a legit tear, and it's tough to go back-to-back in the NHL. Those Red Wings teams, they were scary. I mean, you were scared to play that squad, and it felt like it was never going to end. That that franchise, for the 20-plus years that they continued to go into those playoffs, it was crazy. But specifically in 97 and 98, they did damage. They were able to beat the Washington Capitals and get it done. Uh, it's funny because uh, my number three team is also the Detroit back-to-back Red Wings. You got the back-to-back Bad Boys and then the back-to-back Red Wings. You know, there was a stretch in the NHL where there was a sweep in the Stanley Cup Finals for four straight years, and the Red Wings finished that off. They swept the Flyers in 97, and then wow. they swept the Capitals in 98. You're right, Hunter. Those were... Some of the most dominant hockey teams I can remember watching. I mean, you just felt um, that they were just absolutely better than you. You just knew when they jumped on the ice that they were the better team. They were faster. They were better. They were more skilled. And just, you know, I remember the series against the Flyers. You were just like, God, the Flyers are the best team in the conference. And they can't, they're just not comparable. The, The Red Wings were skating circles around them back then and obviously um, they had a, a run as you mentioned with all the playoffs but Shanahan, Eiserman, Fedorov, Lindstrom um, you can remember those names going all the way back to those mid 90s and being like yep remember that guy yep remember that guy yep remember that guy I mean they were just a dominating team they had a dominating run and uh, they won back to back and they went 8-0 during the, the the Stanley Cup final, they swept both teams. Tough to beat that. So the uh, back-to-back Red Wings, one of the most dominating champions from the 90s. I threw them in my honorable mention. And Hunter, watch the Russian Five on NBC Sportsnet if you haven't seen that. Uh, it comes up occasionally. It talks about all the espionage that the Red Wings do and how general manager Ken Holland was almost laughed out of the league for drafting Russians or trying to get Russians to come over and play. And, yeah, that worked out pretty well for him, don't you think? All right, you guys are talking hockey. I'm going to segue over to uh, baseball for my number two. Uh, I'm sorry. If you don't have the Yankees in your list, the 1998 Yankees, let's start with this, okay? The Red Sox finished with 92 wins in the regular season. They were 22 games behind the Yankees team in the AL East. That Yankees team had a franchise record, regular season standing 114 and 48. They set the American League record for wins in a season, of course, until Seattle topped it in 2001. But the Yankees, they, they actually won the World Series. Thank you very much. You know, I mean, the postseason, they swept the Texas Rangers, then they beat Cleveland 4-2 in the ALCS, sweep the Padres, 
go up and down the lineup and go up and down the players that the Yankees had that season, and that is the epitome of dominance, in my opinion. I, I, I know you don't like pinstripes, MG, but you got to tip a cap to the Yankees. That's why the '98 Yankees specifically, I, and that's why they're my number two. I'll tip them, but they're going to only make an honorable mention. <laughs> oh man, you're tough grader. My number two is the Pittsburgh Penguins. PT, you hit on it. The '91, '92 Penguins. It's just. It's so that that mullet, that mullet by Lemieux, right? And you had Yager in the mix as well with that black Pittsburgh jersey with the Pittsburgh going down, horizontal or um, not vertically, but sideways. It's the the jersey Snoop Dogg would rock in the gin and juice video. I mean that that was like a historic time for the Pittsburgh Penguins. You also had Ron Francis on the squad, Rick Tockett. How you doing? He was out there as well. Those squads were just as dominant as, as the Red Wings. And when you look at the history of hockey, you really appreciate these 90 teams. I mean, I don't think that it hits yeah. the same way in this era at all. I got to be honest with you, doing this exercise was so much fun going back and just how dominating teams were. And I, too, have those Pittsburgh Penguins teams. I remember when hockey was great, and this is when it was. The hockey was so much fun back then because they had stars that you could roll off the tongue. They had names that you knew all over the place. And those Penguins teams were just, I don't know. I think they might be the best that I ever saw. I mean, those early 90s teams, I don't know that I've ever seen better hockey teams than those early 90s Penguins teams, which were just, I mean, unbelievable. They swept the they swept the conference finals and the Stanley Cup finals as well. Yeah, again, boom, ninety one and back to backers. By the way, they beat the Minnesota North Stars, which, by the way, that Minnesota North Stars team came out of nowhere, made a run all the way to the Stanley Cup finals. I actually was in eighth grade woodshop class, and I made a clock. Minnesota North Stars Cinderella season. Do you still have that? I I don't think so. It's, I don't know where that would be at this point. But the Minnesota North Stars. Uh, and then the Penguins beat him again, uh, beat the Blackhawks the next year, swept them. By the way, Scotty Bowman was the coach of those Pens teams, and then he was the coach of the Blackhawks, I mean, the, the Red Wings team. So uh, those Pittsburgh Penguins team had some of the all-time greats. Lemieux, Stevens, Mullen, Recchi, Larry Murphy, Yager, Coffey, Francis, Tockett. You mentioned a bunch of them, but the list goes on and on. Uh, they were so much fun to watch. Um, and I, I thought I thought that those Penguin teams were some of the best teams that I ever watched play growing up. They were number two most impressive champions of the 90s. I love it, you guys talking hockey. A young Phil Bork and old Brian Trottier. Yeah, Badger Bob had gotten brain cancer and actually passed away that season in the 91-92 season. They wore a patch Badger on those sweaters that uh, – Hunter's talking about. All right, well, my number one doesn't have anything to do with hockey. My number one has to go straight to, and maybe I'm influenced by the documentary, I'm sorry, but the 97-98 Bulls, 62-20 and 20 during the regular season, all the pressure that we've now seen and or remembered, you know, for Michael, my girlfriend's son, that's the first time he ever really saw and understood all that. For me, I'm remembering back to, oh, my God, how did they win despite all the turmoil, all the noise, all the dissension? They swept the Nets, lost the game to the Hornets, survived that war with the Pacers. That was the tipping point, and then ultimately found a way to beat a really darn good jazz team at six. That's MJ's fifth and final MVP award. I mean, we talked today about the NBA teams. In order to be successful, you don't need two superstars. 
you need three. You could argue Jordan Pippen and Rodman were the big three that fueled that engine, and they were really, really good. They're my number one championship team of the 90s. My number one is also the Bulls, but it's the 95-96 squad, which started the second three-peat. And the reason why I went with them is, you know, they were clearly talented. They finished with one of the best records ever at 72-10, and 10, which was just beat by the Warriors recently. But, but I think when you're that good, it's almost harder, you know, because, like, you are that good. You are destroying teams all playoffs long. And then you got to flip the switch. I mean, you got to go from game 82 of the regular season after dominating to playing meaningful games. And then they swept the Heat. They beat the Knicks in five. They swept the Magic. And then they took care of business against the Supersonics. So, you know, I just feel as if when you are that good, it's almost somewhat that much harder to go out there and finish the job. So I'm going to go with the 95-96 squad. Yeah, they were my uh, champion as well. The 72-10 and 10 doesn't do them enough justice. I mean, they were, as Hunter said, uh, just they started 37-0 and at home. <laughs> they were a part of an NBA record 44-game win streak that went from the season before uh, into that one. They're 33 wins on the road. I mean, the Sixers are 29-2 and at home, uh, which, you know, that NBA champion Bulls team started out 37-0 and at home. But to be uh, that good on the road as well, by the way, they finished that year uh, 41 and three. They finished that. They started that season, I should say. 41 and three. Unbelievable. Um, probably the best team that any of us have ever seen that uh, are in our age brackets. I mean, it's hard to come up with any team in any era that was better than the 95 96 Bulls. By the way, it started the three peat for them as well. They swept uh, the Heat, uh, they beat the Knicks four games to one, and then they swept the Magic out. And uh, they combined, finished that season 87 and 13. How do you do? 87 and 13. There you go. They are the uh, top five most impressive championship teams. Now, I did notice that no, I don't think Hunter or I had any football teams in there, but I got to give some honorable mention hat tips real quick. The 91 Redskins were 14 and 2. They were. Dominated. Here's the problem I have with the football teams in the 90s. The AFC was so lousy in the in the 90s <laughs> that I can't give as much credit to the NFC teams pumblejacking the the AFC teams in the in the Super Bowl. So that's why they made honorable mention. The 94 49ers were also 13 and three. They were one of the best teams I ever saw. They beat up on the Chargers in the Super Bowl. You did have the back to back Cowboys in there as well, but again. There was no ASC counterpart to make those games competitive. The 90 Super Bowls were a laughingstock joke. That's why I kept the football teams out. And, yes, the, the Yankees have to be mentioned as uh, one of the best championship teams of the 90s. I put yeah. in the uh, 93 Bulls when they beat uh, Barkley and the Suns. I put in the 96 Packers who beat the Patriots. The Patriots weren't doormats at that point. They were a decent team when Brett Favre finally won. The 96 Packers, 91 Twins I put in. You mentioned Jack Morris earlier, Gil. I think he might have been on the 91 Twins, too. They beat the Braves and they needed a Game 7 to do it. And I put in the 97 Red Wings and the 90 Detroit Pistons like we talked about. 
I have uh, the 95 Braves. I have the 49ers as well. The Dallas Cowboys, which uh, hurts me. And uh, the Yankees squad. Hey, guys. Let me give you my top five here real quick. The 1990, number five, 1990 Reds. Jose Rijo, Larry Barry Larkin, Eric Davis. The Nasty Boys with guys like Rob Dibble and Norm Charlton. They upset the Oakland A's in the World Series. I love that team. My number four, the 1996 Colorado Avalanche. Forsberg, Sackick, Patrick Waugh, Adam Deadmarsh, Stefan Yell. Hunter, are these ringing a bell in your head? Yeah, that's a you? great pull by you, Josh. My number three, the 95 Rockets that beat the Magic. The reunion of Fly Sam Ajama. You had Drexler rejoin with Elijah Wan. Big Shot Bob Robert Ori. Mario Elliott. That was a, a fun team. Hold on a second. <laughs> you can't include the Rockets teams that uh, shimmied in there because Jordan retired. I just did. Focus <laughs> <laughs> list. Bogus list. Well, you won't like my number two, then. My number two is that Packers team that beat that Patriots team. I love Brett Favre, Reggie White, Gilbert Brown, Desmond Howard, Don Beebe slipped onto that team somehow. All right, Don Beebe. And my number one is the Bulls, the 96 Bulls that had 72 wins. All right, there you go. Top five of five. That was a fun one because we got to take a trip down 90s memory lane, some of the best. Now, people have been tweeting in or texting in, no dream team. No, we were not including Olympics uh, or any. Um, it was just the four major sports, but the dream team would be probably number one as the greatest team of all time. Somebody also said the Devils swept the Detroit Red Wings. You know, I considered that Devils team. In, uh, what, like, 95 did they win? Yeah, 94, 95. Well, 94 yeah, yeah, yeah. Scott the, Stevens. the Rangers. Ugh, Scott Stevens. Oh, yeah, yeah, the Rangers were, yeah, you're yeah. correct. 94 but, yeah, was them. Ew, I hated that squad. But they were pretty darn good. They were evil. There was a video the other day that was going around Twitter of Eric Lindros cutting across the middle, and Scott Stevens ripped his head off. It's actually disturbing to see what was technically legal back then when it comes to some of those hits. I mean, Paul Correa, the same thing, and he actually came back and scored a big goal. I mean, it's brutal the amount of headshots that were given back then. ESPN.com. He is set to jump on board. With the very latest on the NHL's plan to return, Governor Phil Murphy, by the way, announced earlier today that major sports leagues were given the go-ahead to begin training back in the state, which means the Flyers have a facility in Voorhees that they can get back to practice, and it looks like they will have a league to get back to play in. What are the details? When can we expect it? How will it all look? Kevin Durso, 97.3 ESPN.com, joins us now. On the Boardwalk Honda Hotline. All right, Kevin, we got a lot to dive into here. So let's uh, get the lowdown from you first. 24 teams will resume. That means not everybody's coming back. So how will this 24-team playoff tournament look? Yeah, Mike Broads, there is a light at the end of the tunnel, and we're starting to see the possibilities of what this is going to look like. So, yeah, 24 teams coming back to play, the top 12 in each conference ranked by points percentage at the time of the pause on March 12th. The other seven teams that did not make this playoff structure will enter the draft lottery. And Gary Bettman did say in his announcement this afternoon that it is officially the end of the regular season at this point. The regular season, from a number standpoint, is over. 
So each conference will get assigned a city where they will be able to play one of these hub cities, and they're looking at several that we'll probably get into later on in our conversation. Um, but mainly from a playoff structure, you're looking at the top 12, the top four in each one will play a round-robin-style tournament to determine seeding among the top four. The rest will play each other, five through 12, to determine the other four teams that move on, and that will be a best-of-five series and a qualifying play-in round, as they're calling it. And luckily for the Flyers, they come in in that fourth seed right now, so they are officially in the first round of the playoffs should everything go as planned based on this tentative plan. And they will be playing somebody coming out of this qualifying round. It just depends on what their seeding becomes based on their play in the round robin and who wins the matchup that corresponds with with their seeding at that point. So the top 12 teams in each conference, as of the March 12th pause day, will participate in the 2014 playoff, which means that the Sabres, Devils, Senators, Red Wings, Ducks, Kings, and Sharks, they are done. Their seasons are over. Those players are on vacation. The tournaments are expected to be played in either Vegas, Toronto, Chicago, Columbus, Edmonton, Dallas, L.A., Minnesota, Vancouver, and or Pittsburgh to host here. And then I guess we'll get a follow-up announcement about the dates for games um, on when this could all start. Is that the next phase that we're waiting for now? That'll definitely be part of the next phase we're waiting for. And I think first things first, what we need to hear is is the move to phase two officially. Right now, all they're giving you is a generalized term, basically, of early June. You really need to get a firm date on that to understand where things can go. The only firm date that was actually put out as part of this announcement was that phase three, which is the formal training camp, will not begin prior to July 1st. And Bettman even added that he doesn't envision this happening even in the first half of July. So instantly push your expectations back a little bit that there is still a ways to go on this, and they're more or less just doing this for due diligence. And then they didn't even give a guideline time for Phase 4, which is actually going to the hub cities and playing these games because the timing of this and the sites themselves will be determined later. Now, Bettman did say following the press conference in an interview that was on television that, They have to make a decision on the hub cities probably within the next three weeks just to get an idea of what will work, to have just to have a a good idea of which cities emerge as the highest ones and in constant communication. Like there are three Canadian cities listed on that list of 10. And realistically, the situation in Canada could be totally different than in the U.S., There's a a mandatory 14-day self-quarantine period for anybody who goes into Canada. So they are considering all of that, and if it's not viable to work for this system that they have just put forward, then unfortunately no Canadian city would be part of this, and it would be strictly limited to the U.S. cities that are on this list. I've always seen – everything I've seen so far is Columbus, Vegas is the two that seem to keep coming up the most. And that's where my focus is for now. It can certainly change. There were a few cities on this list that I hadn't previously heard at all, namely Pittsburgh or Toronto. They were ones that I hadn't heard anything about at all. And that's all to be determined. But there really is no firm dates on anything, and mainly that's because from the very top of this, that minute said that health and safety are the most important thing, and they will take their guidance on when they can resume play from civil leaders and medical authorities to actually give the clearance to play before they do anything else. Don't get me wrong. It's definitely great to hear that the NHL is coming out and speaking about 
positive things when it could be back. But realistically, it does seem like there won't be hockey for a long period of time. And when you look at this phase two that you tweeted out, which would be return to team practice facilities in small groups, which will hopefully begin in early June, the gap between phase two and phase three, which is a full training camp, is is a big gap. Yeah, it appears that way. It really depends on what the date is that they actually allow for the players to return for the phase, for phase two. If phase two doesn't happen until, say, mid-June instead of early June, it's really a two-week period to get them into the facility to start to work out. And potentially July 1st or shortly after, you're talking a full training camp, and it was roughly a three-week workout period. So it does, it, you know, on, on paper and to read it out like that and to spell it out where we are on May 26th, it's, it's a long period of time, and it is a big gap. But in, in reality, you're looking at probably this thing really kicking into high gear over the next month to try to pursue this, especially since a lot of things have opened up, namely the, the news we got this morning about how New Jersey's opened up for, you know, for practice for professional athletes. If they're opening some things up on that level, then as others follow, it might become the perfect time to jump back into this head first and really tackle this plan head on, of course, with doing it with the proper guidelines. But it might be the best opportunity to do this and to make this plan work. So I can see, you know, I can see how on the surface it looks like a really big timeline and doesn't sound like things will be coming back soon. But in reality, you're looking at possibly another two to three weeks before there may be players reporting to the training facilities and starting this phase two and working their way towards phase three. I hope you are right. But I want to dive back into the top four teams and and how you were talking about how they're going to essentially play it out. Now, for the Flyers, you really have nothing to lose. But what do you think about the Bruins? You have 100 points, which is eight more than Tampa Bay. Like, I feel as if the top teams who have the most points, and and same in the Western Conference, are somewhat getting screwed compared to the the fourth-place team, which would be the Flyers, where it's, okay, you really don't have much to lose. It's interesting you bring that up, Rhodes, because first of all, one of the two teams that didn't approve the wasn't didn't have an approving vote in the from the players' association was Tampa Bay, sitting at two. So that's a team in the top four of a conference that kind of said, "Well, wait a minute here. Uh, we don't really like the way this is sounding because you know there's a lot of shuffling that could go on in this." You're absolutely right. For the Flyers, there's nothing to lose and everything to gain. I actually saw that even though everything would be handled using regular season tiebreaker-type formats in, in both standing position and in game results in this round, Robin, so you would have three-on-three overtime and potentially shootouts if it went that far, that uh, if the Flyers went, went 3-0 and against Boston, Tampa Bay, and Washington, they'd come away with the first seed. And there's everything to gain from that and absolutely nothing to lose. You could go 0-3, not win a game, have to shake off the rust and look terrible in the process. And at least you didn't lose anything out of it. You're still the four seed and you're playing the winner of 5-12, probably, unless they do a reseeding. And that's one of those things that's out of this that's still to be determined. But at least you still are the four seed no matter what, and you're getting one of the teams from the qualifying round. So there is nothing losing. You're right. A team like Boston is probably sitting there and could be worried about how they come back. And if they don't come back sharp like, like another team does, that they could easily go from one to four that quickly, even though they were substantially better at the time of the pause. Are you surprised, Kevin, that, you know, Buffalo, Jersey, Anaheim, L.A., San Jose, Ottawa, Detroit were essentially said, thanks for playing, you're done, because we've heard so much about the regional sports network saying, look, we need some games back on our uh, channel here because we got hammered by losing two months' worth of programming. 
I'd be a little bit surprised from that angle specifically from the regional networks because that's part of the big reason that you look at the last two teams to get in. Both 12 seeds are major markets, Montreal and Chicago. So, yes, there are certain – from that angle, I'm a little bit surprised. From the other, I'm not really surprised, and only because they voted in approval of this system. You know, from, the, from a team standpoint, they did vote to do away with the rest of their regular season and just go into the lottery. So – the the only two teams that I that, that didn't give an approving vote were Tampa Bay, like I said, and then Carolina was the other one that said no to the 2014 structure, and that's because a team like Carolina is going to play the New York Rangers in that qualifying round, best of five, and they lost all four games to the Rangers in the regular season. So it's kind of a we don't want to play this team because they they had our number the entire year, and now you're telling us that we have to play them in a five game series just to make the traditional playoff structure. So. From that angle, I'm, I'm not surprised that those teams said no to said or approve the structure of the playoffs in the 24 teams because they gave approving votes. But from a network standpoint, I certainly see the point, and that is a little surprising that those networks, certainly in, in areas where it fills up a big chunk of the the um, the programming, you know, like a Buffalo is a yeah. good example. That would be one where I'm a little surprised that they didn't fight harder for it from the TV side. Why do you think they're going to potentially have a best-of-five series early on? Like, if you think about this, is that the difference maker in getting back or not? Because if that, I mean, it just seems like they can do best-of-seven, so why not keep it the way that it has been? You're exactly right, bro. That's that's the basis of it, is is to ensure that they can still have a full calendar year in the 2020-21 season. And... That is a big question mark at the moment just because you don't know when you're going to play your first game in the return to play and get to phase four. If it was that easy to spell out, they, you know, it was, it was encouraging to hear Gary Bettman say that he thinks that the, the qualifying round, the first round and the second round could be played and completed in about a month's time. And then you're looking at just the conference finals and the Stanley Cup final left to play out the rest of the season. And realistically, within two months of getting to phase four, you're, back into the off-season, you're having all the off-season activities and you're working your way toward the next year. And let's say that that is over the month of October and November that you're doing that and you pick right back up in December and start a new year and maybe find a way to structure it where you can still fit in 82 games like they want to. The difference here is that if, if this gets delayed in any way, if, if the training camp in Phase 3 doesn't start until mid-July or even late July, now you're pushing the season back into maybe mid-August. The longer the timeline goes the more likely they might just cut those first round and second round series short and go to five games to make sure they can still play out the next season with some sense of normalcy the way that they have in in years past. That's basically what it comes down to. So I'm all for trying to do this the traditional way. I think doing the qualifying round as a best of five and then the rest of the playoffs as best of seven would feel normal for everybody else, and that's the best way to do it, to honor the integrity of the game and hand it out, hand out the Stanley cup with the tradition that Gary Bettman has talked about since day one of trying to find a way to do this. And I think you lose a little bit of the luster. If you cut out a few games from the first and second round and don't have best of sevens until the, the conference finals, it's just, it just doesn't. This, and, seem and, the and same. Kevin, this is tough to ask. Okay. Pittsburgh's a five seed, by the way, the flyers creeping into that two spot right at the end there. Uh, ended up being a huge thing for them because now they get to play basically a handful of games against the league's best. Worst case scenario is they're right where they end at the season. So 
Whereas these other teams, if you were Pittsburgh as the five seed, which could have been Philly, you're saying, hey, welcome aboard. you got to play a five-game series after sitting out for two months. And, oh, by the way, the, the, the loser's done. I mean, the five seed in this situation, Pittsburgh up against 12 seed at Montreal, they got really screwed. Yeah, and I, I even I told Josh on Sports Bash Saturday when I was on that if you're in that five to twelve portion of this and you're having to play a best of five, it's the worst place to be. You should be fearing everything about that part of it because you have to essentially come back from being off for two and a half months, pushing three months realistically until you're able to do everything and get back to training, and you're going to get thrown into games whenever the time comes and have to play for your life and play right. meaningful best games. Of five. Meaningful. Right, they're all meaningful. And the Flyers are sitting here in fourth. And the same, you know, even like like Bros alluded to, if you're a Boston who's sitting in, in first, you don't even have a comfort level in these three games because if you don't play well, you're not going to be the first seed. And that's, that makes a big difference, too, in how you approach it. The Flyers are in the best position out of any team in the Eastern Conference to be in the four and say, it doesn't matter if we lose all three games. It doesn't matter if we win all three games. We're at, at the worst, we're going to be the four, and we could be the one if we're that good coming out of right. this break. And if we're not, it doesn't matter. We're going to play one of these qualifying teams. And and that team comes in potentially having played two more games than the Flyers would have. So that all works in their favor for sure. There's your news today. The NHL will abandon the rest of the regular season, and they will pick up uh, with a 2014 playoff. The Flyers will play in a 14-round robin, and uh, we don't have any dates on that, but Kevin Durso – has it all. More details at 973ESPN.com. Kevin underscore Durso on Twitter. All right, pal. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Appreciate uh, it. He's the best. And uh, you can, of course, uh, like he, like August, appeared via the Boardwalk Honda hotline. There you go. So he really broke it down pretty good there. It's going to be the matchups are, bros. Um, Pittsburgh, Montreal, 5-12, Carolina Rangers, Islanders, Florida in the 7-10, and the 8-9 is Toronto-Columbus. That is your uh, basically bottom half, and then it's Boston, Tampa, Washington, and Philly will play a round-robin tournament to determine the top four seeds. The more I think about this, I am so pumped for the Flyers. I think they're in a good spot. You I see really the Flyers do. tweet just a minute ago? See the Flyers tweet just a minute ago? No, what There's only say? one thing left to do, and it's a picture... Of uh, looks like uh, Kevin Hayes. Yeah, with the belt. Goosebumps, baby. All right, it's time for the five to get ready to wrap up the show. Great stuff from Durso, and of course, the NHL looks like it's coming back. What do we got? That is exciting, by the way. The NHL coming back. Would you rather have three feet or three hands? Three hands, I guess. I can hold three IPA. <laughs> okay. But think about how fast you can run. I mean, you're talking maybe you could be in the Olympics. Nah, I think you would be clumsy and probably fall. It would cause you to have, like, it would slow you down. Where's well, the third just, foot? Where is it? Like, is it on one leg, have two feet? I was thinking of a whole nother leg, but I guess if it's just three feet, you're right. Maybe one foot would just have two, and that would be an issue. Yeah, you didn't present it that way. You just said three feet. You didn't say three legs. Right. It would probably be the same two legs and then somehow three feet. But, yeah, you're right. I, I do like the hand thing. You can do more. I mean, you can yep. just literally function three 
different ways. All you right. can get creative this, with that, baby. Yeah, you could. Now, this one is a little tough. Would you rather your significant other be able to read your mind while making love and only during that time or every other minute of the day besides that? So you're pretty much screwed either way, but <laughs> when when can she read your mind? Um, Either or. I don't, I don't really care. Come on. I would say the former would be better. So while you are performing? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, right, because I'm saying, listen. after 25 seconds, you can't read my mind anymore. Is that all it takes? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way to think of it. Imagine if you had three hands while doing that, and now we're talking. You there know we go. I mean? Would you rather have a permanent splinter under your big toe or permanently have a bad haircut? Oh, definitely haircut. But you could be really ugly. Yeah, but you could always in this job. I could throw a hat on. I could do this. You know, I don't ever. I don't think I've ever done the show with a hat on. I'm pro hat. I mean, I think I wear hats 24. I sleep in hats. I used to be hat all the time, and then I just I'm no hat, and I can't even imagine doing the show with a hat on. Well, no, why? How does that affect your sports talk radio? I'm not sure. I just I play with the hat too much. I take it on. I take it off. I put it front, frontwards. I turn it backwards. I just I'm not a hat guy. All right. Would you rather be able to breathe underwater or fly? Fly. I think I'm choosing fly, but that doesn't devalue how cool it would be to breathe underwater. Definitely, but flying would be definitely better. All right, the last one. Would you rather have a song stuck in your head all the time or always have an itch that you just can't reach? Why would I ever want an itch that I just can't reach? But imagine how insane no, it would be after four years of the same song. I'm okay with that. Ask my girlfriend. I have song lyrics that just pop into my head all the time for no reason. It's the same song, though, forever. Yeah, but I don't want to have an itch I can't scratch. Ever. <laughs> I hate that. The best of the Sports Bash Hour is next.